I'm Steph, I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new, and um, we're in a series on faith at the moment. <clears throat> we particularly looked last couple of weeks at faith and finance, um, hope it's been helpful, um, um, it's, we, it's not something we've talked about much as a church, but really wanted to because we recognise that being silent isn't wise. <clears throat> People come to all kinds of conclusions, so I wanted to just do that well. Hope you've felt well served by those sermons. Um, I'm in an hour in this week, where to go with this week's sermon. Um, there's so much more we could say on finance, but I, I, I am going to preach on faith and fatherhood. Which nine of you are happy about. And uh, so it's going to be good. Um, it's Father's Day. It's the heat. I'll put it down to the heat. Shall I put it down to the heat? I'll put it down to the heat. Um, now, just to say, we're looking at Father's Day. Obviously, we sort of touch, we can begin to touch tentatively on the uh, uh, fringes of the increasingly delicate uh, gender conversation. We are not going to go there today, all right? Um, um, it's something that is a massive deal in our culture and one that as a church we're totally comfortable speaking into and will do. But I just want to say I do not want to get embroiled in that today. That's not what today's sermon is about. Is that okay? Yeah. Cool. Uh, also, when I talk about fathers today, please do not jump to a million conclusions as to what I am therefore saying about mothers. We're not going there today. It's Father's Day. We're talking about fathers. Is that okay? Cool. So it's going to be a really straightforward sermon um, where we avoid uh, minefields and controversy at all costs. Um, right, so let's do it. Okay. Uh, is there a crisis in the area of fatherhood? Uh, yes, there, I would say there most likely is a crisis in the area of fatherhood. Um, but I would also say this, there may well always have been. There may well always have been. Okay? It just may have manifested in different ways. Uh, we are told in the book of Ecclesiastes 7 verse 10 not to say why were the olden days better than these. It says it's not wise to say why was it better in the old days. Why? Well because either we're talking about the old days that we were part of and we remember those days with rose tinted glasses. You remember the bits you liked? Or you're talking about a generation where you weren't alive, and so you only know really what you've heard, different things you've read, nostalgic, sentimental ideas. It was much better then. Uh, actually, if you read really good history, you'll find out that every generation since Adam and Eve at the fruit has faced significant difficulty, hardship, and brokenness. So it's because sin's in the world. So I, wanted to, I really want to steer us away from a kind of a sentimental, oh, let's go, back to, uh, let's go back to before the fruit, definitely. But any other time after eating the fruit, it's, it, there's brokenness. There's broken families. There's, there's, there's bitterness. There's vengeance. There's murder. I mean, Genesis 4, we've got one brother murders, brothers murdering. I mean, it's not, let's just avoid that whole way of thinking. Um, I mean, even if you go back into our country before what we call the sexual revolution, so before the 1960s, where in our nation there was, much, there was definitely much, much less divorce, without a doubt. There were, there was much, there were many, many more what we might call traditional uh, nuclear families, mum and dad at home with the kids, without a doubt. But I would also say uh, uh, this, that my hunch is, is that during that uh, period of time, Many of the dads were either down the pub or in the shed. They may well have still been officially at home, 
But were they, were they doing what God calls a father to do in the home? I don't think you can assume they were simply because they were officially married and not divorced. So I do think there is a crisis that we are facing without a doubt. Uh, personally in my own life I've been at the sharp end of a lot of that. So I'm not speaking out of some sort of bubble, but at the very sharp end of a lot of it. Um, but I would just want to warn us away from a kind of a sentimental harking back to an age that was. Um, because I, I, my, I, I think that if we were to go back there you would find 101 things you think this isn't right either. Because that is life after we've chosen to go our own way. It's full of brokenness. So why is it so hard, or why is it so scary, <laughs> for men to be fathers? What, 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 what's, what's so scary? It's an insight for you uh, ladies here, and for any, uh, any men who aren't fathers. It's just a terrifying thing, because God calls us to take primary responsibility for our families. That is just so terrifying. Part of you just wants to disappear. If you, I don't, I, I, how am, how am I supposed to do this? Because um, I think most men who are sober-minded when they look in the mirror don't don't see staring back at them Superman, but see staring back at them someone who is by no means the finished article. And you think to be entrusted by God with a, a, a absolutely a mutual responsibility along with mum for the family, but something to carry something of a, a sense of a primary responsibility in that partnership is a scary thing. The continued laying down of your life for your family's well-being and growth is enough to make most men tremble because most men are very selfish. One of the big sins that men tend to fall into is selfishness. I think women are much more, I don't know why, not even theorised, but just anecdotally, observationally, tend to be much better at sacrifice than men. There's a really funny uh, poster my friend told me about that his wife, I think, stuck up on the fridge. She found it in a newspaper. It may have been just a little cartoon. She stuck it up on the fridge. And in, in, this, in this little cartoon, the guy is walking out of the house holding a, a, a... He's just emptied the bin. And he's got the bin liner and he's tied it in and he's carrying it out of the house. And he's saying something like this. No, no, don't mention it. It's fine. You know, making a big deal about he's just emptied... The bin. And, uh, and uh, it really feels he should be getting some acclaim for this mighty act that he's just performed in the home. This thing that most likely his wife has done silently six days of the week um, for the past ten years. There's something about men that we just we, we struggle to uh, really joyfully embrace uh, sacrifice and do it well. and tend to make a bit of a fuss about these sorts of things. Um, the whole area of fatherhood is hugely opposed spiritually. It's hugely opposed by the devil. If you're here and you're not a believer, you're not a disciple, you're not a Christian, you might think, oh wow, the devil? Are you serious? Yeah. The Bible is clear that in the spiritual realm there is light and there is darkness. And it's not impersonal energies, but personal personalities, spirits with personality. And that the leader 
of the uh, dark spiritual realm is called Satan in the Bible, often known as the devil, which means the enemy, the adversary. And he opposes all that God is for in a very subtle ways, very often, very often undercover, um, but very often very effectively. And uh, because he has opposed this area of fatherhood, there has been great damage, and because there's been great damage, there's a lot of pain around it. A lot, a lot of pain. So I recognise that I'm, as I'm speaking on fatherhood today, for some there's, there's a lot of pain, for some there's confusion, for some there's just like a numbness. For a few in the room, there's joy. And hallelujah, for every happy story there is of good fathering. We celebrate it. But I want to just start with a scripture that assures us that fathering is right at the centre of God's heart. It's a very wonderful little sentence just tucked away in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. And he just says this. This is the Apostle Paul. Um, He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. I'll say that again. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family or every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. What he's saying is this, every fatherhood you come across, even in the heavenly realm, but on earth that we're very familiar with, finds its source in him. That it's a reflection of him, his eternal being. It's not just like, I don't know how to describe it, it's not just like God describes himself as father because it's something we understand. No, 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 no. We, are, we understand fatherhood because it's who he is. It's really important you understand it's, 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 it's that way around. It's not that just God says, oh yeah, well, why don't I use the term Father to describe myself? Because on earth that's how they do it. So when I use that term, they'll understand it. No. We understand it and we know the term fatherhood because he is Father. It is an s- eternal spiritual reality that God is Father before anything that happens on earth. And so the way we order our families and all the rest of it, it takes its model from Him who is eternal Father. And the Bible represents God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. There is this community in God, this three in one. The Father is there, at the source, at the head eternally begetting the Son. The Father and the Son pouring out the Holy Spirit on the earth. Father is an eternal concept. He is the eternal Father, And so we have a model of fatherhood in God that is pure, that is untainted, that is better than anything we will ever see on earth. And God is in the business through the gospel, through what Jesus has done, in renewing our minds and redeeming our souls in terms of understanding and knowing our Father in heaven. So being reconciled to God isn't just some kind of strange, nebulous kind of spiritual thing that happens. Oh, I think it happened. No, no, no. It's being adopted by your eternal Father. Where that spirit of adoption comes and lives inside of you and you know him and you know where you belong now. And where the, per- the perfect father begins to pour down into you all that is in his heart. And we're going to look at three of those things through this sermon today to help you understand what fathers are to bring. We know because God brings it and the Bible is clear. The first thing is this is that fathers bring security. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? Fathers bring security. Quadruplets. They look pretty safe there, don't they? They look like they're having a great time. They're being held. 
that's, that's, an, that's an essential element of fatherhood. I remember the moment our first child was born, Daisy, just, you know, I think she was born at three in the morning and then, and then I'd fainted and other things, so it was a bit of a mess, but I got sent home, I got sent packing at about 5am, slept till about 9am, rushed back to the hospital to be properly introduced, you know, and I remember w- w- just walking around, you know, this kind of, I don't know, South London somewhere, high up, I don't know, 8th floor, ninth floor, labour wards, walking around the landing, just kind of introducing myself <laughs> to this, wow, this is different, um, you know, whoa, uh, and just talking, explaining, this is, I'm, I'm your dad, you know, it's good to see you, what are you, it's amazing, number two was an emergency chaos, so Davina's out of action and at 8.30pm I wasn't even allowed in, which I was thankful for because what happened last time. So uh, I was like, yep, I'll sign, do what you do and uh, just praying and then I get handed a, 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 little, a little boy this time, little bundle, 8.30pm, hi! And just introducing ourselves to one another, having a great time together. I think we don't know when mum's going to be back in action yet. So, you know, I think there's some, I think, I can't remember, there's some breast milk happening at some point, so I'm doing some feeds with other expressed milk and bottles, and wow, this is great fun. Then number three, Melody came out looking so angry. <laughs> uh, but we sorted it out, we, we, we sorted it out. It's an amazing thing. These gifts from God, it's beautiful. And so the security, now how does the security come? This is really important. If you go to Luke chapter 3 verse uh, 22, now the reason why you've got to understand this, this stuff, it's a really, really big deal, is because God chooses to use the primary image for Him saving us as adoption. That's the primary image that He uses. He uses. So you've got to understand fatherhood, not in some, oh, what do I want my dream father to be? What does the Bible teach? It's much better than anything you could dream up. Much, much better, and it's true. Okay, so we see what does the Bible teach, and then we get to realize it. Oh my goodness! As a result of the cross, the the horror of what God's only begotten Son willingly gave Himself up to for us, we can be adopted into this. It's extraordinary. That's why we sing so much praise to Jesus. So Luke chapter three, Jesus is baptized, and uh, uh, verse uh, twenty-one. When all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, here it is, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That, I mean that set Jesus up, I think, they were, I think those words, boom, went in and, and set him up for the next three years all the way to the cross. You know, whoa. Uh, my father's smile is over me. What security that brings. We might call these life words. And when I talk about fathers, I want you to understand two things. I want you to be hearing it in two ways. Number one, in Christ, this is who God is to me. Number two, if you're a father, this is what I am modelling myself on. They're life words. Life words, the words that God speaks over us are meant, they are true. That you are beloved in Christ, that you are accepted in the beloved, that you are forgiven, that the old is gone and the new has come. These are life words from your father into your soul. They produce life. 
They, they cause things to grow in you that weren't there otherwise. That's what it is. Sometimes you see someone and they're like a shell. They're a shell of a person. They don't even know who they are. Because they've been left to figure the whole thing out. No one said this is who you are. And so they've looked here and they've looked there and they've kind of cobbled something together. But it's flimsy. And, and, and a slight wind will knock it down because they don't really know. Because when the words of God are spoken into your soul like that and the Holy Spirit stamps them in and sears them into your very heart, it makes you the very thing that God says. It's extraordinarily powerful. It's not just feel good stuff. It's not just, it's not, it does, do, of course it makes you feel amazing. But it's not just God saying some things to make you feel better. He means them. These are the life words that a father brings. See, because when I say these life words to my children, I want them to know I'm not just churning it out. It's not just the stuff that dads are supposed to say. But they can see in my eyes, they can see by the way I'm saying it, I mean this. There's power to it. You see, we need to know we're doing okay, don't we? Is it just me? Yeah, we need to know we're doing okay. And how do we know that without the voice of the Father? We don't. But when the Father says... Yeah, keep going. When the Father says, I will never leave you or forsake you. When the Father says, you are my beloved son. You know you're okay. Silence is deadly. Whenever there's silence, we just tend to start looking elsewhere and listening to other things. Thank God he has given us his word. I think it's his way of saying, I'm just talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. It's whenever you, yep, yeah, open it up, that's what I'm saying. Hear it in your soul, hear it in your heart. Whenever, whenever you need to know, whenever you need to am I going to, have I somehow fallen out of God's love? I'm going to go to Romans 8 and God is saying to me, nothing in all creation can separate you from my love. Wow. See? God's words. Well, I think, you know what, I'm just not feeling as close to God as, as and I don't know why, I don't know what's going on, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not deliberately kind of running away, what's happening here? And I go to John 10 and Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. Okay, security comes. I know I'm doing okay. This is the words of God. It's glorious stuff. But there's another thing that fathers, there's another way they bring security. This is an interesting one. If you go to 1 Thessalonians, if you've got a Bible with you, I found this a fascinating scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says, this is Paul talking to a church that he started. He says, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. How fascinating that is. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. There's a security that a father brings by raising the bar for his kids. Exhortation means to invite and to call up. Exhortation means that it's like what the coach does when he gets alongside someone and says, I see in you such huge value and worth and potential and potential and I'm not going to allow you to just stay there I'm going to call you up into all that is in you that's what fathers do that's what fathers are to do you bring the best out of your kids 
Father looks his children in the eyes and says, you can do this. You can do this. And we'll keep saying it until the child believes it. And you know, once it's in them, then they probably only need to hear it occasionally. And I think it's like that very often as, as believers. I know for me, in the early days of my Christian life, it kind of felt like there was a season, because I was broken. I mean, I wasn't just broken. in a, in a, I was broken. Like, you know, in the six months leading up to coming to know Christ, I literally thought I was, I, I, I had this image in my mind of this slope. And there was all kinds of niceness at the bottom. And I was, on, I was going down it. It was literally, it was an image I was living with as someone who didn't believe. But it was in my mind. As a result of just really crazy choices. And I thought, this thing is bad. This thing is bad. And, and it was like, after I became a Christian, God just either brought people into my life, or wherever I went, someone would come and pray over me, or prophesy over me. And it was this stuff in terms of who you are now in Jesus. And it was like, it was like wherever I go, it's like I had an arrow of me saying, prophesy over this one, because he really needs it. You know? And people would just come and just have just the right word. And it just was like God was just saying, this kid is so malnourished. He just needs protein, 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 protein. And then, and then it comes a point. And then I would say, then the season changed. And I, I would say that it's actually, it's actually quite rare that someone will now come to me and bring that kind of prophecy. But I think it's because it's in me. I just know it. I know it. It's not like just some feeling. I just know it. Like I could be feeling awful, but I know God is with me. I know God is for me. I know he loves me. And it's not like, I'm not, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not saying that I kind of, I'm not saying that I feel that I'm always on some mountaintop. Far from it. But there's a deep-seated conviction. He is with me. He is for me. He will not let me go. He's put it in me. And I can always go to those scriptures now, but it's like I was an intensive care emergency case. I no longer am. Because the words of the Father have really taken root. And uh, there's a security there now that by His grace He has done. Hallelujah. Coming to maturity. So the Father brings security by speaking those words of affirmation, those life words, and also saying, come on, you can do, you can do this. Fathers don't, good fathers don't allow their kids to just remain in immaturity. Or to remain in just a kind of defeatist mindset. But they come alongside, yeah, come on. Not in a way that pressurizes or pushes prematurely, although I'm sure we get it wrong. But that's not, that's not what I'm saying. But it's that sense of instilling in their children a, 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 a belief that they are worth something. Instilling a belief in their children that they have got something to contribute in this world. That's what fathers do. So number one. Number two, fathers give their children inheritance. Inheritance, (laughs) inheritance is essential to sonship. We don't really think like this much in our part of the world. But in, in this time, back then, and in this part of the world, it was absolutely essential. You would never separate the idea of sonship and inheritance from one another. It's, it's just very, very natural. In fact, I read someone saying that for the early Christians, those who didn't get married, it wasn't really so much an issue of, I won't have a, a companion, or I won't have sex. It was much more, I won't have an heir. That would have been the initial, oh, because that's just such the way that they would have thought. 
And but we don't really think like this in our part of the world in such a strong way. But it is a huge idea biblically. Firstly, to be a son is to be an heir. This is proved uh, numbers of times in the New Testament. I'll just read you one from Galatians 4, chapter um, verse 6 and 7. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There is. The father is looking to leave his child in a better condition once he's gone. My aim with my children is I want to, uh, I want my legacy into them to be that who they are and what they have for life is way beyond anything I ever had. You understand? That's the heart of the father, isn't it? I want them to be standing on my shoulders. I want them to be reaching, reaching way beyond anything I have. I, I don't want them to be having to fight the battles I've fought. You know, because I, I came into, you know, I came into marriage and family life clueless. Clueless. And, and there's battles that you have to fight because you, you just don't, you have no idea. My kids will not have to fight those battles. That's the gospel. That's the victory of the grace of God. They will have other battles to fight, sure. Because the world isn't a playground, it's a battleground. But, but, they are ahead. And will be ahead and will reach further than I ever will. And I celebrate that. They're heirs. They are heirs. God gives, the Bible describes the inheritance, God has for us as the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. I mean, don't, don't try and corner me on what does that look like. <laughs> the Bible uses images of rewards and crowns and prizes that never fade and all of that. Uh, acclaim, honour from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, to be honest, you think, I, I, I don't know, it's a whole sermon series in and of itself. Um, that's good. It's good, because if he gave his only son in order to win us to himself, then what's he got planned in his heart? What's he got planned in his heart? It's extraordinary. So that's the first thing about inheritance. The second thing is this. I will say this is a sobering thing. It works in both directions. 1 Peter 1.18 says this. It says that um, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. This is a really important scripture. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. There's an inheritance you can have from your forefathers that's negative. It works in both directions. There will be things that our children grow up with that we're like, ah, <laughs> darn. <laughs> I recognise that. And it's a reflection of an area where I or maybe we are still not where we want to be. That's hard. That's hard. God understands that. That's the reality of what it is. It mustn't crush you. But I do know this. I do know this. That God allows imperfect, incomplete people to be parents. Promises them grace to do the job. And to do a good job. But only one father does the perfect job. Okay, deals with my pride. <laughs> okay, then that's the way it is. But it's important that we realise that the blood of Jesus does redeem us 
from futile ways inherited. Isn't it wonderful? You might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but you don't know where I've come from. You know, you could lay out everyone's story so unique. You know, everyone's got their own little things to their story. You say, yes, but, yes, but, and my answer to everything, not in a simplistic, impartial way, but my answer to everything is the blood of Jesus. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the, in, 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 I so believe in the value of that poured out life on the cross. To redeem any situation, any life, any failure, any sin, I absolute, don't you? You believe in the blood of Jesus. That's why we're here, because we believe in the blood of Jesus, or we want him to find out about the blood of Jesus, that's why we're here. But the Bible speaks with such, such strong terms about this blood. Now why? Well, the, the life is in the blood, the Bible says. So the blood of Jesus is the life of Jesus. Do you think, wow, the value of the life of the eternal Son of God poured out on a cross for our sins overcomes everything. Some of you should be swinging from the UV lights at this point. I hope you believe this. Faith and fatherhood, right? You've got to believe this. If you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, sure. Well, okay, fine. It just bounces off. If you'll mix this for faith... If you will mix this with faith, God will honor his word. God is true to his word. God is so, so true to his word. Final thing is this, is that fathers train their children. Oh yeah. <laughs> Try to find something that looked quite grueling. This doesn't get spoken about much. Not tough mudder in church. Um, the, the, the training that God brings. This is really important. It's really important. Because I became a Christian aged 18, and I noticed that actually quite quickly in, there would be these seasons that came, which just felt really hard, for no apparent reason. And initially it really threw me. I thought, God, what are you doing? Don't you love me anymore? And all that stuff would go on, until I understood and I learned about the discipline of God, the training of God in Hebrews 12. I want to say just three things on it, then we're going to apply it, then we're done. So Hebrews 12, first thing is this. Um, what is it? Uh, and, and there are two wrong ways to respond. Hebrews 12 verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises or scourges every son whom he receives. Right, so here's the deal. It says, number, what is it? Well, it, 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 it is a mixture of I guess I dis we discipline our children in two main ways. One is, is that it's not like they've done anything wrong, but you're just looking on thinking they need help there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You just think they're just going to need, need some help there. Um, it's, not, it's not disobedience, but it's not going to help them in life. right? A parent needs to, in the wisdom of God, with the right timing, intervene. You can't just even to figure it out. That is a myth. Parenting myth number one, you leave your kids to figure it out, you are abdicating your responsibility as a parent. you got to get involved there and you say, do you know what, can we talk about this? Because you just try and help them to see without being too intense, but you just say, look, this kind of behaviour, that, that, that kind of going somewhere. So you've got a kid who's tearing up the house. I sit my kids down and say, okay, look, you're, do, you're, you're going around like a crazy whatever, but like you're seven or you're five or whatever, so the damage isn't too bad. You do that stuff when you're age 20, what's it going to look like? I'm trying to help them teach them. If they don't, if they don't learn, it's, it's going somewhere bad. So you just teach them. And other times it's, it's plain disobedience. We say, don't do that, and you've done that, and we need to um, take action. 
<laughs> to teach you that was wrong. To help you wake up to the fact that, ah, oh, disobedience leads to bad consequences. And the writer here says, there's two bad ways to respond. Number one is that you regard it lightly. Number two is that you are wearied by it. They're opposite responses. Number one, regard it lightly. You know, like the kid who comes out, um, you know, we used to have the cane when I was at school. I'm that old. We used to have the cane. And, uh, and there would be these rumours of these boys that would go in with like a book down their trousers to, 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 to wield off the pain, you know. And there would be the kind of boys that would sort of walk out after them and sort of sneer. <laughs> yeah. That is regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. You brush it off. Dah. No. <laughs> Don't do that. Number two is you grow weary in the sense you just say, I've blown it, it's all over. <laughs> Which one are you? Ask yourself. Are you the boy with the, or the girl with the, the book down the, uh, the bottom? Or are you the, like, the one who, a bit of discipline comes in, and you're like, it's all over. Who are you? <laughs> I was the latter. Oh God, you don't love me anymore. And God just totally renewed my mind. He showed me that I was associating his discipline with rejection. The Bible teaches the opposite. The opposite. I'll show you. It says, uh, verses 7 to 8. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, it's just to say, sons is obviously a word we use just for guys. Um, the Bible uses the word son for believer, male and female. Why? Because in this day and age, a son was the one who inherited. So he's teaching that male and female believers are sons. Why? Because male and female in the kingdom are co-heirs. That's why the sons is for women as well, okay? God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. So if, what that is saying is this. If God punishes you, if God disciplines you, rejoice. Why? It means you belong. Yay! I had to teach my own kids this. They said, why don't you smack the other kids? I said, they're not mine. It's a very reasonable, logical conversation. They're not mine. It's your mind. That's why I have this interaction. That's why I'm so concerned. That's why you feel in your heart this intense interest in you by me. Why? Because you're mine. That's the love of God. That's the love of God. That's why he disciplines you. That's why you think, God, why are you doing this again because I have such keen interest in you because you're mine that's the heart of God do you like that? you should like that it's wonderful it's powerful it's powerful 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 if we do not discipline our children we are creating orphans you are creating an orphan you're, you're basically saying okay you figure it out no and sometimes there's big battles. Sometimes there are battles that last hours. But when I enter that battle, I know who's going to win. It's going to be me. Unless I realise at some point in the journey that I'm wrong, which at times has happened, and then you swallow your pride, and you make that apology. But if you know, when you know you, 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 I'm winning. Why? Because I will not allow my children to become orphans. They belong. They belong. And so we take interest. And finally, the Bible teaches this. Uh, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Okay? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
It's not pleasant, but it's fruitful. We live in an age where authority figures buddy up to those in their care in order to try and get them to do what they want. It's all high fives and touch me bruvs and stuff by someone who's in authority to those... If I can just, if I can just, if I can just... It's embarrassing. It's good to be able to connect and stuff like that, but if, if that is... If, if that... If a parent is literally just thinking, I'm just going to have to just buddy up in order to try and get them to do what I'm saying, that's a disaster zone. That's not authority. When is the child going to learn obedience? And then is when they're going to learn to obey God. Now, I absolutely believe that we should be looking to become friends with our children. That is the aim we have for our children, two aims, that they know Jesus and that we become friends. Yes. But that's at the end of a process called parenting. Where I'm friendly, we're friendly. But, you, know, you know, you can watch us, right? It's not all like, do you know what I mean? Canes and things, right? It's not that. Yeah, no, 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 no. Right? So, you know, most of you know us well enough to know, yeah? There's loads of fun. It's crazy fun. It's crazy fun. Right? Absolutely. But, we are in charge. Okay? We are in charge. Why? Because God has put us in charge. And it's for their protection. And it's for their good. And it's so that we can create an environment where they can flourish. Because they're kids. And they're vulnerable. And they're not yet developed in their discernment and this and that. So they need parents to help them. Okay? It's for their good. So we don't abdicate that. We don't throw that away. A good parent will have the courage to put things in place that he knows his beloved won't enjoy, but without which he or she will remain in perpetual immaturity. So he puts it in place. Maturity, or glory, as the Bible calls it, is accomplished through the discipline of our Heavenly Father. If you resist it, you'll get older, but you won't mature. You won't mature. You can get old without maturing. So, so just to end, just to finish, just apply it now. Gosh, look at the time. Okay, uh, obey God. <laughs> Trust Him. Trust Him. Um, I don't know what to say. There's no time. Uh, um, dads, stand up on your feet. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Right, dads. Dads, we live in a broken world. We're all trying to figure out to do the best that we can. You stand up there, Dave. You're up there on the, on the balcony, mate. Make sure you're standing. Well done. <laughs> whenever you talk ideals, whenever you talk like this, there's always a danger that someone just thinks, I've, I've blown it, I'm a failure. There's always that danger. And you want to spend two more hours to making sure that doesn't happen. We can't do that. But we understand that the blood of Jesus is redemptive. Right? So we, when we realise areas we've got it wrong, we face up to it, we make the relevant apologies and we move on trusting in the grace of Jesus. That's what we do, okay? Um, if we've got the humility to acknowledge that and respond to that and look to God to help us change, there's grace. Amen? Right, so I, all I want, I guess what I want to do is just, you know, I know some of you are older than me and so I just want to be very careful here and just be very gentle and, 
and all of that and, and don't I don't want to overstep my place in any way but I just want to honour you and uh, as, as dads I want to exhort you uh, as, as fathers to, 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 to keep playing to keep being all that God has called you to be I want to exhort you as fathers to be all that you all that all that God has put in you as dads to to live it out to speak the words to not go quiet to not go passive to not go scared to not lose your courage to keep stepping up to keep loving to keep speaking the truth to keep praying to keep coming alongside to keep doing all that you can in your and my flawed ways of representing him I want to encourage you uh, and uh, and just pray that my words will give you strength and in your soul that you would feel that um, that there is grace for you that there is power from God for you to do this task and that though it will be imperfect it will add to the glory and purpose of God in your children's lives and then I want to charge you I want to charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God with your children I want to charge you to take it to heart I want to charge you to um, not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to charge you to, to, to allow God to work in your heart so you can be all that you can, all that you can be, and not to give way to uh, intimidation, political correctness, and fear. Amen? Amen. Amen.